Welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I'm Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schendel. Today we are lampooning the 2003 universally derided atrocity that is Geely. First and foremost, <laughs> first and foremost, I have to do a disclaimer on this episode. This episode discusses perhaps one of the most offensive movies that's ever come out of the studio system. It is blatantly ignorant and extremely offensive, not least of all for the bad storyline and the plot threads that go nowhere, but also for its depiction toward gay people, most especially lesbians, as well as the mentally challenged or mentally <laughs> handicapped, whatever the more in vogue term is, I guess. So if you do not know about this movie, this is a spoiler alert. Geely is flat out a movie that you should never see. So don't even bother. Just listen to this episode, laugh about how offensive it sounds, because when you listen to us describe it, you're going to be sitting there like, really? Like a studio movie came out with this. So don't see this movie, but if it's important for you to see a movie before somebody shits on it, I, I mean, Geely is on stars right now. So if you have stars, maybe watch it. <laughs> you should probably just unsubscribe from stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So if you don't know what it's about, let's hand it over to Pablo Francisco. <clears throat> Larry Gili is assigned by a crime boss to kidnap the brother of a prominent district attorney. A beautiful woman known only as Ricky is sent to stay with him to make sure he doesn't mess up the job. That's, that's a decent enough log line, I guess. I mean, it, it sort of, you know, summarized the movie. It's, while there, <laughs> it doesn't while, describe how boring the movie is. Yeah. While there is, while there is an overall storyline here, there's not a lot going on. There's long scenes that just kind of drone on and there's a lot of dead air. And it's kind of incredible, actually. At two hours long, this movie feels like it's three fucking hours long. So this is a Columbia Tristall release through Revolution Studios. Revolution Studios and Columbia are of course owned by Sony but oddly enough this movie quote unquote doesn't have as much of the pervasive advertising as we have mentioned with previous TriStar releases in fact the only Sony product that I saw on display in this flick was Geely's tiny TV that he has in his apartment next to his kitchen that's it congratulations Sony you can make a movie that doesn't have pervasive product placement I'm pretty sure they pulled all of their products out of this movie once they screened it well they still released it so you know i mean they're not completely without fault here but before i continue i think it's worth mentioning again that this film is extremely offensive not only because it's one of the worst movies ever made but also because it constantly makes fun of the mentally handicapped as well as gay people it actually tries to say that being gay is a choice that a woman specifically can turn off her lesbian sexual identity if a sufficient enough white straight male is introduced into her life so that being said that on its own is enough to earn this movie an all-time worst place on our ever-expanding list of worst movies but should be condemned for its homophobic stance anyway continuing on we all know columbia from bad boys zombie land and one of my personal favorites, District 9. But Revolutionary Studios is a little odder of a production company. They did everything from Ridley Scott's incredible Black Hawk Down, which is one of my favorite war movies of all time. Definitely one of my personal oh, yeah. favorite war movies. And it's got some 
some great stuff in there. Yeah. Two bench warmers, two breaking balls that they did last year. Oh, which, yeah. Moving on up. <laughs> <laughs> they did the Triple X movies, Daddy Daycare, Underworld, the great F. Gary Gray movie called Straight Out of Compton, which was one of my favorites of that year, as well as Anger Management, the TV series, which I didn't know was a thing until what? I looked this up. Yeah. Wow. Will Sasso, you know, Will Sasso. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's he's right. in it mm-hmm. he's in it yeah uh-huh. jesus christ i didn't even know that guy was still around anyway the goddamn disaster of a movie that is perfect stranger with bruce willis and halle berry was also produced through these guys and julie Taymor's 2007 beatles musical across the universe which we spoke about previously which is definitely one of my personal favorite like new musicals it's produced by frederick w brost john handy or i'm sorry john handy john john hardy amy sayers and Casey Silver, along with Martin Bress, who also directs. Frederick Brost is a really interesting producer in that he has produced blockbusters like The Terrible, Ocean's 12, and Lackluster, Ocean's 13, but also such... I'm sorry, but also such classics as Steven Soderbergh's classic Che Part 1 and Che Part 2. John Hardy is Soderbergh's longtime producer, having produced his films since Sex, Lies, and Videotape, but oddly enough, did not produce Traffic or anything after Ocean's 12. Side note, I'm a huge Soderbergh fan. Watch all of his movies. He's definitely one of the best directors working today. His TV show, The Nick, redefined television in so many ways. It's definitely worth your time. It's only two seasons. Amy Sayers apparently doesn't know what makes a good movie. She produced such classics as Meet the Fockers, which isn't that <laughs> terrible. But she also, <laughs> she also did Wild Hogs, Paul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dinner for Schmucks, The Campaign, and side note, Jesus Christ, Will Ferrell, just stop. You're 53 for Christ's sake, man. <laughs> just stop with the antics, man. Uh, and, did you see his uh, new Netflix movie? No, I didn't. I had a couple of people <laughs> tell me I should. Have you watched it? Yeah, I did, actually. <laughs> Any it's, good? Uh, it's entertaining. It's entertaining. I mean, you know my second wife is in there, so that's really the only reason that I was thinking uh, of watching it. But Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. you should watch it then. <laughs> Okay, so, but she also produced the universally lambasted movie Rings or The Ring 3 with the subtitle, Who Gives a Shit Anymore? Fuck you, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Casey Silver has an even stranger career in that he cut his teeth on Geely. Dude, this was his first producing credit. How did he move past this? Like if somebody's trying to hire you and you're like, oh yeah, I produced produced this movie called (laughs) Geely. How does that guy get a job? Maybe maybe he hired the caterers and everyone was like, oh yeah, Yeah. Geely was a terrible movie, but they had pretty good catering. You know, if they just stripped all of their names off of it and pinned it only on him, I could understand that. So he's the fall guy, you know, but Jesus Christ. But but his first movie was Geely, but how did he ever move past that? But besides the fact, he also did Hidalgo, Ladder 49, George Clooney's terrible directing and starring movie called Leatherheads, as well as The Forbidden Kingdom with Jackie Chan and The Highwaymen for Netflix. All lackluster to terrible movies, mostly terrible movies. It stars Ben Affleck, who of course has recently been doing better movies since he turned to directing. But however, prior mm-hmm. to... Two- <laughs> Well, I, I'm I, I'm just I saying. I guess he like, got out of Batman finally. Yeah, right? I don't know. He's done man. with that. 
supposedly suppose yeah i mean they got robert pattinson doing the new one but that's not to say that the studio isn't going to really like it and even if it performs well they're going to want to go back to the original justice league cast and like in order to do justice league 2 or whatever the fuck it doesn't matter but however prior to 2006 gone baby gone which was one of my all-time favorite crime dramas he had a really bizarre grab bag of a filmography among them mall rats which i unequivocally hate i fucking hate that movie <laughs> chasing amy another movie in which he quote unquote converts a lesbian the critically acclaimed <laughs> goodwill hunting which is one of my favorites and won him his first oscar for best original mm-hmm. screenplay with co-star and co-writer matt damon the absolutely abysmal movie called phantoms in 1998 as oh. well as <laughs> yeah <laughs> as well as michael bay's horrifying movie armageddon in the exact same goddamn year <laughs> i could go on and on about all the bad movies he starred in a lot of them belonging to kevin smith shout out fuck you kevin smith (laughs) but let's not belabor the point rather let's summarize it with the fact that he had a three punch knockout of the year in 2003 with Gigli, paycheck and daredevil all in the same fucking year yeah yes dear listeners how did he not jump off a bridge god damn like that that's really fucking bad but to be honest every movie since Gigli up until the town in 2010 was terrible so it took him seven fucking years to bounce back from Geely. Like seriously, go back and look at his filmography, dude. Other than the stuff that he like starred in and like weird movies like Paycheck and shit like that. Look at his filmography before 2010 with The Town. It is really fucking weird. It's like, what the hell is going on with this guy's career? Regardless, Jennifer Lopez co-stars as Ricky, his lesbian co-conspirator who not only is clueless, but begs him in almost every scene to quote, help her jump the fence, end quote. Again, this is the single most damning thing about this movie and I truly hate that she lent her highly sexualized persona to this message. She has had an awful career as an actress, starring in such crushers as Anaconda, Angel Eyes. Okay, (laughs) do not, do not, do not shit on Anaconda. That is a classic right there. Well, you really like John Voight in that movie? Is that what you're saying? Uh, John Voight's good. You got Ice Cube. Ice Cube, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's classic. <laughs> don't don't shit on that. All right. Back up. Well, all right. So what about what about Angel Eyes enough? Uh, all right. No, we don't have to talk about anything. You can you can shit on the other ones, but just not Anaconda. All right? Okay. All right. Fine. She was also in Jersey Girl opposite Ben again, Monster in Law, Border Town, shout out to New Mexico Film again, and The Boy next door which is a really fucking weird movie by the way but regardless she has had a couple of good moments of light in her career though with the unappreciated tarsum sang film called cell if you see this watch the director's cut it's much better it's much closer to what he wanted to do but the studio kind of took it away from him and you know put out their own version of the movie which is it's still fine and there's a lot there that's tarsum but it's not tarsum's movie and it's really fucking too bad because his director's cut is actually pretty good and i still think it would have been well received if you know he had come out with that version yeah i don't think i've seen the director's cut but now now you've got me curious yeah you gotta check it out dude it's it's a little Mm. bit longer but it's more about the scene order 
and the flow, like the editing of the mm. whole fucking movie is different. And that's huh. definitely an odd thing with the director's cut. Usually you see like one or two scenes or something cut out or moved around or whatever. But this is yeah. like, it's like, uh, it's like Blade Runner, the final cut in that sense. You know, it's like yeah. they took the whole movie and they re-edited the whole fucking thing. <laughs> so it's really, it's really interesting. But she was also in Oliver Stone's U-Turn with Sean Penn, which I actually like. Selena, which everybody seems to like. It's like a cult classic for some reason, but mm. I, I didn't like that movie. But she was also in Hustlers, which was actually really entertaining and earned her her second Golden Globe nomination of all fucking things. Wow. And Steven Soderbergh's hilarious Elmore Leonard crime caper out of sight, which I will defend to the death because I actually, <laughs> I actually love this movie, man. It's fucking great, dude. Like too many people shit on out of sight as like this weird, like JLo thing. And they just voted down because it's JLo. I mean, in retrospect, since that movie, I get people shitting on it and being like, fuck JLo, you know, like she can't act, blah, 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 blah. But Out of Sight is actually a really, really good movie. And it was pretty critically acclaimed when it was out. It's just criminally underwatched, I think. Mm. But Justin Bartha plays the mentally handicapped character Brian in the movie. <sighs> What's to say about this performance <laughs> other than that parody is not okay? You can't portray <laughs> those who are developmentally disabled as being the brunt of comedy. It's straight up despicable and offensive. But that being said, this guy is in two terrible national treasure movies opposite Nicolas Cage, three fucking hangover movies as the guy who gets married but continues to let his idiot friends lose or abandon him, and a bunch of other movies I've never seen. Fuck him, he's a terrible actor. <laughs> Dude, seriously, man. Like he oh. he played the only thing that you would know him in is that he's Doug from The Hangover, the guy that is gonna get married that gets lost on the roof of the hotel or yeah. lost he in has that elevator. All of five minutes of screen time in those yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. He's nothing. <laughs> what no, I don't I don't recognize him. <laughs> Doug I mean, was just means the end. He was yeah. unimportant. Absolutely. He's a punch. He's line. like the MacGuffin of <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that should have been his role credited on IMDb yeah. is MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> but the moving on, the Italian-American stereotype is played by Lenny Venito. He's been in a bunch of movies I've seen, but I do not remember him in, including two Men in Black movies, Spielberg's War of the Worlds, and the underappreciated Matt Damon, Edward Norton card-counting movie called Rounders, which is a dope fucking movie you got to check that out if you haven't seen it lastly yeah, yeah. Uh, i love john malkovich in that movie dude he's fucking great yeah yeah lastly the cast is rounded out by two cameo scene chewing performances by two men who need no introduction and who need no explanation of their filmography and should have never have been involved in this movie christopher walken and al pacino martin brest is responsible <laughs> for both the script and the direction in this quote unquote movie he directed al pacino to oscar mm -hmm. gold yeah he wrote it and directed it and produced it. He directed Al Pacino to Oscar Gold in 1992 with The Scent of a Woman, as well as having directed the original Going in Style that was horribly remade by Zach Braff in 2017, as well as the classics that are Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run. Dude, seriously, Martin Brest has some good movies, man. It's just, this isn't one of them. He also- yeah. Isn't this the last of them too? Yeah, I'm gonna get to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> he also directed the over 
overly long and lackluster Meet Joe Black, but it's overall not as terrible as I remember it. I remember seeing Meet Joe Black and being just like really fucking bored throughout most of it. But maybe it's just that the older that right. I get. Is that the David Spade movie? No, dude. It's the <laughs> it's the fucking Brad Pitt movie with him and Claire Finacci. No, oh, right, no. Yeah. I'm thinking of Joe Dirt. That's yeah. right. Why the fuck would you think of Joe Dirt? <laughs> God damn it, dude. Why would you think of Joe Dirt? <laughs> but he, yeah, he directed uh, Meet Joe Black, which isn't as bad as I remember it being. Every year that I move along, I, I go back and I watch it like every couple of years. And I actually am really starting to like it over the years moving forward. It's like fucking three hours long. It doesn't need to be that long, but it's not bad. Mm. Fun little fact. I have to skip that one. Yeah. It's, it's not bad though, man. You should yeah. check it out. Not bad. That's not really a great endorsement game. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So this, this isn't at all the same kind of movie, but like <laughs> you remember sleepers with Jason Patrick back in the day, Jason Patrick, Kevin Bacon, mm. Brad Pitt, but the priest that molests uh, uh, Jason Patrick's character. No, from like I don't think I saw that. Oh, oh no, fuck man. man. Okay. That's a good movie. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that. It's like you, you understand why the critics were like kind of shitting on it, but overall it works and it's not bad. Like there's a lot of good shit in there, but it suffers from one way or another from being too long or being too like pedantic or whatever. And that's the right. biggest flaw. But fun little fact about Martin Brest and Geely. This movie actually made him retire from the fucking filmmaking industry <laughs> because he was so sick of the goddamn studio that he just quit the business altogether. Like a man who had a career stretching more than 30 years was just like, fuck it, I'm done. If this is Hollywood, fuck Hollywood and he quit. I'll get to Are the full- sure he quit? Oh, you're gonna go. No, no, no. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get to the full story later at the end of the podcast because this movie actually was remarkably different before the studio got their hands on it. Uh-huh. And this movie is like a key case of why studios should stay the fuck out of things. Not that this movie is any better, but <laughs> I think I think it might have worked once I go into the actual storyline later because like Martin Brest's version was remarkably different than what they actually made in the screen. So mm. anyway, Gigli is an arduous 121 minutes long and was produced for 54 million originally until the studio got a hold of it and reshoots and script changes ballooned it to 75.6 million dollars. More on that later with the script changes and all that other shit. It was released on August 1st, 2003 at 2215 theaters to another record-setting low number. A scant 33,753,000 was made opening weekend. It's funny actually because this movie holds the record for the steepest drop-off in its third weekend of all time. As I stated, it opened at more than 2200 theaters and the third week saw a 97% drop in theaters showing the movie making only 73 <laughs> Three theaters in the fucking country had Geely by the third week. That's how badly it performed, and that's how many people. Seventy-three still sounds like a lot. Seventy-three in fifty states. It's not (laughs) good. Showing this. It opened in the number eight spot in 2003. That's right, the number eight spot on its opening weekend. But it was up against In Ascending Order. Finding Nemo in its 10th week was above it. Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life in its second week. Bad Boys 2 in its third week. Sea Biscuit, Sea Biscuit in its second week. (laughs) Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl in its fourth week. Spy Kids 3D, Game Over in its second week. And finally, American Wedding topped the charts this weekend 
weekend with the number one spot in its first week of release. Funny enough, the movies that round out the top 10 below Gili are The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen <laughs> and, and Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. Both unforgivably bad movies. These were dark days in movies, man. Yeah. 9-11 really did a number on this country yeah. game. <laughs> Not to mention that the fucking core was out in 2003, too. Like, Jesus Christ, talk about some bad movies this year. Gili limped on for 153 days in theaters, bringing it to our lowest number yet, $6,087,000 domestically and $1,178,000 internationally, bringing its total overall haul to $7.26 million is all this 75, wow. 75 <laughs> million dollar movie made $7 million. This makes Gili the 161st overall opening growth in a mini major studio 2015's a perfect guy ranks above it and 2008's first sunday opened below it i never heard remember. either yeah <laughs> <laughs> this also makes Gili the 92nd overall worst wide opening in more than 2000 theaters legends of oz dorothy's return from 2014 ranks above it which i didn't even know that existed i didn't know what the fuck that was when i read it and steven soderbergh's iphone feature film called unsane from 2018 ranks below it which is actually not that bad of a movie man i actually really dug it claire foy is great in huh. it. if you're a claire foy fan check it out or if you're a steven soderbergh fan check that shit out it's pretty good but Gili's lowest impact was made in the united kingdom with a one weekend huh. opening and gross combined opening and gross of only $24,352. That's right. One week is all the UK could take of Benefer's body. <laughs> <laughs> When when it opened in the UK, it placed as number 21 at the box office, dead last of their recording of that time period, with the triplets of Belleville, Terminator 3, and Raising Victor Vargas above it. Speaking of, the top three of this time in the UK were the Helen Mirren starring Calendar Girls, Marky Mark's remake of The Italian Job, and Underworld. These were dark times, dude. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the largest opening of all time in the UK still belongs to JJ, I'm a hack Abrams with Star Wars Episode 7, A New Hope. I mean, The Force Awakens with $123 million opening weekend in the UK. With a population of 59.5 million people in 2003 and an average cost of 4.44 British pounds, or as they might say it, 4 pounds 44 pence, or $7.14 American, that brings total asses and seats to 3,410.64 people saw this opening weekend in the UK or 5.7321 millionths of 1% of the fucking population saw this thing in August of 2003. Unfortunately, Johnny Quarterslice's passport wasn't in order for him to fly to That's the funny. UK during Gili's premiere weekend. <laughs> Gili has a stunning 2.5 out of 10 with 45,552 votes on IMDb, an 18% on Metacritic, and an unbelievable 6% on RottenTomatoes.com, making Gili officially our lowest IMDb, Metacritic, and Rotten Tomatoes scoring movie thus far. It does have a solid 13% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, though. Oh. So, yeah, that's something. Its rating on IMDb ranks it as the 19th 
worst movie of all time, narrowly beating out the Mariah Carey starring 2001 movie called Glitter and just below the mm. 2004 German comedy called Daniel the Wizard, which I don't know what the fuck that is. You're going to have to check that out. Just <laughs> see what could be worse than this movie. <laughs> to give you an idea of how bad this movie is, the recent cinematic horror show that is Cats ranked better than Gigli, placing a full oh, six places God. after it at the number 25 spot. This quote-unquote movie ranks highest amongst females less than 18 years of age with a lukewarm 5.0 and lowest with males aged less than 18 with a stellar 1.5 out of 10 stars. Dude, if you huh? can't even get prepubescent males <laughs> to give a fuck about Jennifer in this movie, it, like that's that's a fucking big problem. That's, that's tough time. Once again, some fucking how almost 5% of the votes or 2,236 people on Vi on IMDb voted Gili as a perfect 10, Paul. What the fuck? <laughs> How the fuck can you go to IMDb, log in, or create account an account in order to log in, <laughs> go to Gili's page, click on the star banner, and give this fucking 10 stars? How does that happen? I think people do that just be sarcastic dicks if you read I, I read a couple of uh 10 star reviews for them and they're all <laughs> in caps and the worst kind of internet people so yeah i think it's yeah. just trolls man my favorite reviews begin with critic jamie russell from the bbc jamie posits you realize that having your skin flayed by a potato peeler would be less painful than sitting <laughs> through Gigli. stephen witty from the newark star ledger takes a dark turn in his review referencing the 19 train accidents that occurred from 2000 to 2003 in the United States by scribing, quote, such an utter wreck of a movie you expect to see it lying on its side somewhere in rural Pennsylvania with a small <laughs> gang of engineers circling and a wisp of smoke rising from the caboose. Lastly, Jeff Giles from Newsweek writes, after a, I'm, I'm going to fuck this word up, but after the sh schadenfreudian, a word that means the experience of joy that comes from learning of other people's troubles, failures, or humiliation. Hmm. After the schadenfreudian thrill of watching beautiful people humiliate themselves wears off, <laughs> it has the same annihilating effect on your will to live. <laughs> Lastly, Gigli is rated R for sexual content, pervasive language, and a brief, and brief strong violence. So, Paul, Bill Bergman steps up to the plate. It's 19. <laughs> 11 and this is his 3028th plate appearance in his 10 year long career the weather is steamy hot in brooklyn as the dodgers take on the last vestige of any pride against the cincinnati reds on september 20th 1911 bill has the stellar record of being the lowest career batting average ball player of all time with a 0. 0.170 this will be his last game for the love of god put this motherfucker out of his misery and strike him out i signal you squatting low the dust being kicked up helping my balls to remain dry despite <laughs> the vinegary monsoon that is my jock strap <laughs> just then you pitch this motherfucker to me oh, sorry <clears throat> i had a voice that i was gonna do I fucked it up. All right. Okay, listen up here. Listen up. All right, I got my voice going here. That's pretty good. Okay, you remember? Remember the good old days when women were gals? And guys, yeah, they get, they got the pussy. Sure. I, I wanna, I wanna write a movie. I wanna write a movie that's reminiscent of the old days. Cause I see the, 
I see the gays walking around and you know, I just, I can't take that kind of thing anymore. Like every, every lesbian that I see, I just, I, I know they're going to go for my cock. They only saw it. So okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm Sorry. <laughs> Every lesbian that I see, I know that she would turn if she could only see my cock. So that's why I walk around on the streets slapping lesbians with my cock here. <laughs> got arrested once, but because I'm a white male, I got off. It was fine. <laughs> but I got a special guy. His name's Ben Affleck. <laughs> the chin on this motherfucker. Classic. <laughs> Just classic. No woman could resist. So Gary Grant this, chin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Affleck, so I got J-Lo. J-Lo's in the movie. Now, I don't know about dark women, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're all into Asian philosophy and yoga and being <laughs> lesbians. But she's not really a lesbian because no woman can resist the chin on a Ben Affleck. So I remember laughing real hard at Forrest Gump and Rain Man. So I figured it could use a nice retarded character along the ride. And I love it. I, I want him to have I want him to have cum jokes where he just doesn't understand his own body. And I, I think that's gonna be a good one. That sounds hilarious. That yeah, sounds... we're gonna get we're gonna get Al Pacino too. Oh, Christopher wow. Walken. Oh wow. Yeah, we're gonna have them uh, throw in some performances that are just going to raise this movie up far beyond what it could be before. So uh, how, how much do you think of this movie? I'm, I'm hearing like maybe 20, 25 million. Well, Ben and J-Lo, that will take their salary right there. So I'm going to need an extra 30 million <laughs> on top of that. Sure. Okay. So why, why don't we, uh, what do you want? You want a check or you want a money order? What do you want for this? Just, uh, just leave it behind the toilet seat in Gary's <laughs> bar down on 4th Street. Okay. 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 Right Sounds good. Thank you, Martin. You're you're a real treasure, man. You did Midnight Run, and goddamn, like this sounds like another classic. I know the lo- the young kids will love this kind of thing. The hippity hop music. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That sounds great. Yeah. So, Paul, I need your first impressions on this because I wrote a fuck ton of notes on this movie and I just, I don't know exactly where to start. So since I had seen this movie previously and this was my second time seeing this fucking thing, I saw it in 2003 when it came out. I didn't go to the theater. I downloaded a pirated copy. Yes, fucking sue me. Come after me. Oh my God, (laughs) can't believe you did that. They don't deserve your money. So, Paul, since this was your first <laughs> experience with Gili, tell me what your gut reaction was right, watching so this. I was doing work on my laptop while I had this on, and so I wasn't completely focused on it like I, I usually am. But I didn't, when I was watching it, I didn't notice anything that immediately said, this is a terrible, terrible movie. But then when it was over and I started replaying the scenes in my head, I'm like, my God, what the (laughs) fuck were they thinking? Just (laughs) describing any of the scenes to try it. You know, there's a scene where Jennifer Lopez is a lesbian and she's on the ground doing yoga. She's like spreading her legs with her camel toe, describing how it's nice to kiss mouths and vaginas (laughs) ben affleck in his fucking stupid jersey (laughs) accent had his his mouth wide open you're just sitting there like this is uh is this charming is this supposed to be chemistry here it's offensive uh, at the very least oh my god (laughs) yeah it's i i 
I was one of the biggest things that I was so surprised at with this movie was Christopher Walken and Al Pacino's being in this movie. But <laughs> Christopher Walken, I mean, he's the scene with him playing in the background right now is that he comes in and he starts going on this like soliloquy about going to Marie Callender's and getting a big piece of pie with some ice cream on it. And that your tongue would be so excited to eat this that it would slap your brains out of your skull in order to get to it if you put it on your head and like he's I'm, I'm not gonna lie dude like Christopher Walken is always good there's if you took this scene out of this movie and you didn't know it was from this movie it would be fine it would just be one of those yeah. clips of Christopher Walken being weird I worked with this man on a movie in New York a few years ago and Christopher Walken is the weirdest motherfucker <laughs> I've ever met in my life. He shows up on set and he's got this look like he just got done eating a litter of baby cats. Like it's, he's <laughs> a really, really weird guy. But first and foremost, oh, Paul, yeah. my biggest problem with this movie is that this movie tries really, really hard to be clever. And it's sort of like this weird Tarantino-esque like mob picture, but through a rom-com filter and uh, none of it works. Is, uh, what does she say? Time to turkey up, gobble, gobble. No, no, no. She <laughs> says it's turkey time, gobble, turkey. gobble. Yeah. <laughs> That's clever? No, no. <laughs> it's... <laughs> God damn. Uh, for the context of the people who haven't seen the movie and never will, she decides that she's not a lesbian suddenly and wants Ben Affleck to go down on her and give her oral sex. And that is how she initiates that exchange. Yeah. It's turkey time. Gobble, gobble. gobble. Yeah. Is that comedy or is that sexy? Uh, that sex scene is so cringeworthy, dude. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like watching this like really horrible role play between two people that can't act. And like, I, I like Ben Affleck for what he did with Gone Baby Gone, The Town, and Argo. But like, he has had some truly astoundingly bad career moments in his life. And this is definitely one of them. Like, this is, I'm actually surprised that he bounced back after this, to be honest with you. He really, he really shouldn't have. No, he shouldn't yeah. have. But, you know, I mean, this movie thrives on stereotypes, whether it's the lesbian, over-sexualized lesbian stereotype or the Jersey oh. douchebag, you know, stereotype or the fucking Italian-American Goomba stereotype. But it's fucking L.A., dude. And it's the middle of the goddamn summer and he's got a leather jacket on the whole <laughs> fucking movie. Martin Brest or the costume designer or somebody was thinking in their head, oh, what do, what do uh, mob enforcers usually wear? You know what? I think leather jackets. Leather jackets yep. make sense. Leather yeah, we'll jackets and bowling shirts, right? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it couldn't be any more douchebaggy than it already is. Yeah. I hate in this movie that how stereotypical mobsters, right? He takes Ben Affleck aside at the beginning of the movie and he's walking across the street to him and he's explaining that he wants him to go pick up this brother of the DA of like this fucking that's trying to prosecute this uh, this mob boss and he's talking really loud as they're walking across the street because there's fucking traffic passing them but then he stops on the sidewalk and he looks side to side to make sure anybody's listening and then tells him the rest of the plan I'm like you literally <laughs> laid out that you want him to kidnap a guy 
as you were walking through the crosswalk past other people in full volume. But when you get to the sidewalk, yeah, that that's the best time to keep your voice down low, just in case anybody's listening. Well, if there was a silver lining to this movie, that character gets shoot shot in the head. And <laughs> that, that I mean, that helps a little bit. Yeah, and so. the fish do eat his brains, which is kind of yeah. entertaining. And then inexplicably, all right, so Al Pacino shoots this guy in the head in front of J-Lo and... Or should we just call them Jennifer? Jennifer. Jennifer. <laughs> he shoots shoots this guy in the head, and they just kind of act all shocked, even though they're supposed to be professional hitmen. Yeah. So or something. It, it makes <laughs> it makes sense that J Lo would be freaked out by that, and I'll, I'll I'll get into it throughout this podcast. But this movie was remarkably different. And one of the main things that was different about this movie with the first cut of it that was screened for certain critics was that J Lo's character actually wasn't a mob enforcer. She her actually the actual mob enforcer was the ex girlfriend that barges in and slits her wrists at the beginning of, or like near the oh. middle of the movie, and she was like trying to say fuck you to her ex girlfriend by like taking her job which doesn't make any sense but there was a scene where she like reveals to Ben Affleck that she isn't actually a mob enforcer and it makes more sense in retrospect viewing yeah, all of sense. the scenes through <laughs> that lens but they cut that out because you know the, this movie needed to obviously cash in on Jennifer fucking I, I keep wanting to say Jennifer Aniston or but <laughs> Jennifer Lopez is there's too many Jennifers out there <laughs> Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck's relationship, which was on every fucking tabloid that you can imagine at this time <laughs> period. It was actually nauseating, to be honest with you. Dark times. Dark, dark times, times in the States, man. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really gotten out of that, Paul, but him talking on the flashlight to make fun of how easy it is to take advantage of development, developmentally challenged people, like yeah. that's bad taste at the very <laughs> least. So Not to mention funny. it's fucking terrible. <laughs> There's so many humorous moments in this movie uh, that are in terrible taste. Just You know, there's a line early on in the movie that just doesn't work, and it's J-Lo's intro scene. She knocks on the door, and she has to come in in order to use his phone, blah, 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 blah. But they try really, really hard to make her cute and sexy during this scene. But before he lets her in, she says, I'll be in and out quick. I'll, I'll just leave a faint scent when I leave. And I was like, that line sounds like she's going to fart in his couch weird. and run. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> she's going to yeah. spring load his couch so that way he can remember her later when he plops down on it. Speaking of which, if you don't know what spring loading is, it's where you sit on a couch or a seat, like your friend's car seat that has coil springs in it, and you face your anus straight down into the middle of the spring and you fart in it as hard as you can before you get out of the car and it traps the scent within the cushions. So when you sit <laughs> down on it, it like shoots back up like a whoopee cushion stink bomb it's That's actually up, really... <laughs> i just figured i'd mention what a spring load was no, that, uh, yeah it makes sense okay. <laughs> physics moment yeah okay <laughs> so j-lo j-lo showing up wearing a midriff bearing shirt and stretching her legs in suggestive ways as ben affleck i fucks the living shit out of her is a little bit too much besides the fact that j-lo dude you know, I, I don't know if this is still considered sexy, but like her wearing those like super low rise jeans that when she does anything but stand straight up, you see the crack of her ass starting to come out. Like, you know, 
is this still considered uh, like late sexy? 90s. Oh, dude, you know, every time I watch a movie from the early 2000s, I'm reminded at how horrifying style was in the early 2000s. <laughs> like the seashell necklace chokers the guys used oh, to wear, the, yeah. the flip flops and the weird board shorts. Like it was just a weird time. I, w- I wear flip flops. Yeah, but you don't wear <laughs> you don't wear them with bleach tips, Paul. You don't oh yeah, yeah, tips, yeah. yeah, and. And don't forget your wrap around Oakleys. Oakley. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Oakleys. Yeah, that's that's a number one douchebag <laughs> material right there. I'm I'm gonna first talk about this movie as the way that it was written, and then when I get to the end of the podcast, I'll talk about what was different in the director's cut because it is really worth mentioning how oddly different this movie is. We already touched on it a little is bit. The, is the director's cut available? No, no. Uh, no, but it was screened. <laughs> it was screened before critics, and I read several reviews of different critics basically explaining the entire plotline of the director's cut, and it's remarkably different. But huh. we t- we touched on it before. But J Lo's contractor, or I'm sorry, J Lo is a contractor for the mob, but she looks this good and is being that coy and like suggestive toward another contractor <laughs> for the mob. Yeah. It's just this movie yeah, is no set sense. up. It's set up to be this like sappy gooey fucking disgusting romance thing i mean if you step back and you consider the whole premise of the plot none of it makes sense like why ben affleck or jlo's characters would be involved in this because they're just fucking morons yeah they're idiots (laughs) you would not entrust them to kidnap someone you just not this is this is like a a fucking rom-com mob movie version of dumb and dumber like as stupid (laughs) as you could fucking possibly be every mistake that you could possibly make these people make but this leads me to his gangsters gangster speech that he goes into (laughs) and that is the single i i want somebody to fucking (laughs) like pull that clip out edit that clip out and anytime ben affleck starts going on some pretentious bullshit (laughs) just to pull it out and play it for him on an ipad in order to remind him what the fuck is wrong with his career and then he needs to fucking square his shit what is it what does he say the pearls flow forth from my feet i think so i I don't remember but one one of the quotes that i think is really interesting about this movie is that ben affleck quotes or i'm sorry credits martin breast the director as being the guy that taught him everything about directing i'm like i do not buy that at all like that's some weird like dick sucking i want to work with you again bullshit i don't buy that that he learned how to direct from martin breast because this is not evident in this movie (laughs) in any way shape or form moving on So throughout this movie, he hurls the obscenity retarded at this fucking handicapped guy multiple times throughout this movie. He slaps him around. He yells at him to be normal. And it's meant to be comedic, but it's like, it's truly (laughs) horrifying when you watch it. It's like, they just throw that all around. What does he call her? Dicosaurus Rex? Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. That's yeah. really classy. I don't know if that And was she ends up funny. fucking him. Yeah. But, yeah. After the fact, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Um, this movie is i mean the just the small amount of time that we've been talking about it this is only 22 minutes into the movie this is the shit that you've seen in 22 minutes into the movie but 22 minutes in and i am uh, bored to fucking tears man like 
everything in these 22 minutes could have been condensed into a seven minute scene and it would have had the same setup like these are just long scenes that drone on for no reason and it's like endless cruelty toward people but i'm gonna move past all that and just move on to the reading of the tabasco bottle scene paul because sure it's he's, so endearing. He's a New Jersey douchebag and he doesn't have one book in his fucking apartment other than the phone book. And so he chooses to read the fucking Tabasco sauce label to this mentally handicapped guy that wants him to read something to him before he goes to sleep. And I'm like, okay, so thank God that that scene is over. But then it comes back, Paul. <laughs> it comes back. He has to read the back the of a toilet fucking paper. toilet paper. Yeah. But I mean, maybe, maybe this movie knew this that it was shit. And it was like, okay, we're going to describe the toilet paper that we're going to use to wipe our ass when we're done with this movie. But then, but then Ben Affleck has Ben Affleck has the most cringeworthy mirror scene in the history of fucking film. <laughs> that whole bull horn cow bullshit thing, where oh, dude, I'm a bull, you're a cow. Yeah. You want the horn? Yeah, you want the horn, dude. I just, uh, I don't know. Maybe this was actually written as a like horror movie, but disguised as a romantic comedy. Maybe these, these people, the characters are actually based on real life people that the director <laughs> has known and it's all true to life. And I... so it's a horror movie because these people actually exist in the world <laughs> think about it like that you know maybe that gives you another dimension you know the fucking that. jersey shore went on for what like 12 seasons or something like that uh, <laughs> like, we made those people millionaires so why not these yeah. despicable people <laughs> But Chris, Christopher Walken shows up in this next scene. And he, you know, like we said before, he has a scene chewing, scenery chewing scene where he just talks about Marie calendars and lets them know that he knows what they're doing. And then he walks out and he's never seen again. Like never seen again. Never seen again. Uh, so he's the one that they're dropped. supposed to be extorting, right? No, no, no. Well, no, he's like oh. an investigator. He's like with the FBI or the feds or whatever. And and but so they, he just walks in. The kid is like in the next room, right? Throughout yeah. this whole scene. And I thought I thought they were going to even go more offensive in that scene by the fact that he's describing ice cream and pie. That They're going to be like, oh, that's exactly what mentally handicapped people might go nuts over. And that the handicapped guy uh, was going to come running out screaming or whatever. That's where I thought they were going with it. But... Yeah. It's, well, they have a they have that scene at the end, so yeah. they didn't forget. No, they didn't forget. no, they didn't forget to be offensive at the end of the movie. But yeah. it's really weird how it just disappears like that. This leads us to a scary moment in history, Paul. They're sitting at the cafe, the Mexican place, when they go out to eat, and Urban Dance Squad is playing on the radio by the street toughs that are sitting on the fucking patio with them, which are all white boys that are dressed <laughs> like frat brothers with like their open shirts and like their backwards golf and caps and i'm just like are these supposed to be street toughs because like, <laughs> they, they are not yeah. at all the that fucking so so out of touch <laughs> yeah so out of touch but this movie suffers first and foremost from like overly long monologues i don't know what it, 
Martin Brest was thinking when he was writing these monologues, but they just, they end up being these long scenes that just drone on for no reason. And the perfect example is this scene with Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez, where she walks up to the street toughs in order to tell them to shut the fuck up and stop blasting their music. And she walks up and she has this four and a half fucking minute monologue oh where she talks to them about like that she knows some weird Tai Chi shit and she's going to fucking stick her finger in this guy's eye and rip his goddamn eyeball out and take part of his brain that's responsible for visual memory, which it doesn't make any sense because like visual memory is like short term in your brain and then some of it goes to long term memory so by yeah. her saying that she's going to rip out this part of your brain that's responsible for visual memory and you're not going to remember anything that you've ever seen in your life is complete horseshit it's not possible you'd have to rip out part of the brain which you need <laughs> to fucking live in order for you to do that but if, if you were with all your other homies chilling on, on the benches like they were would you sit by and listen to a <laughs> woman tell you that she's gonna rip your eye out for no. four and a half minutes no, no probably not no not at all probably do some cat calling yeah and- <laughs> but, <laughs> that's about it but the scene wraps up the scene wraps up with her leaving and the boys shut the fuck up but ben affleck has to walk up and like have his moment so he picks up their laptop and is like oh yeah nice laptop and snaps it in half and the music stops and i'm like wait am i to believe that this super loud annoying music <laughs> is coming from a fucking early 2000s laptop speaker not to mention that would street toughs have a fucking laptop that they're listening yeah. to shit on like this isn't this isn't long past the days of menace to society or boys in the hood or anything like that where they actually show people with boom boxes on the street to turn this shit up in order to drown out all the noise that's in their neighborhood but no martin breast casts a bunch of white boys sitting on a fucking patio listening to a laptop speaker yeah i don't know and the fact that they just sit there and watch ben affleck smash their shit yeah don't there's like 10 or 12 of them and there's one ben affleck yeah yeah, yeah, but but they're white, dude. Like they're not actual street toughs. They're wearing fucking uh, golfers okay. caps. I see, I see. So they're not street toughs. They just like to listen to hardcore music. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to bring up. I, I had an early sandwich beef in this movie. Oh. And that's that they go to this they go to this cafe and they're eating these burritos and it just reminded me California burritos are fucking disgusting for being the land of Latino mm. for being the quote unquote land of Latino I could not find one decent tortilla when I lived in LA there are all these like prepackaged smash flat bullshit flour tortillas no matter where I went and yeah. the only place I found in my time living out there that the tortillas weren't factory made was the salsa bar off Cahuenga in Studio City but even their tortillas they tried to make them more palatable to the gluten-free non-gmo free range fat free Uh, sugar-free crowd that is la once again i was greeted with the lackluster factory tortilla that quickly became known as a wrap everywhere you weren't went in la even if you got a fucking burrito dude they would call it a wrap it pissed me off but even even rocio's mexican kitchen doesn't have good flour tortillas they're missing the real lard in the tortilla flour in (laughs) of using vegetable shortening and it makes the tortilla suck but to be fair trejo's tacos didn't exist at that time and i didn't have a ton of time i could fuck off to different places in la to find mexican food yeah. especially given that the first 35 places that i went were all personally recommended <laughs> by friends of mine as quote unquote authentic mexican were in fact baja style aka white people mexican food akin to chipotle yeah 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 
All right. So when I lived in when I lived in San Diego, I did I give I gave up on burritos uh, for a long time. But there's this place in Old Town San Diego, and it's a street, and there's like five different places, and they have little Consuela grandmas like making tortillas by hand like all day long. And so you get your choice of which fresh homemade like tortillas you want to eat from what restaurant so that's a pretty cool thing still i i've had better in new mexico but that satisfied (laughs) need for a good flour tortilla so you have to go all the way down to san diego but i mean if you're gonna go all the way down there you might as well just go to tijuana Tijuana, yeah (laughs) (laughs) but dude even even the mexican nationals that i knew when i when i was in la that were there on either visas or green cards whatever they they weren't able to find me a decent flour tortilla in the san fernando valley or hollywood i ventured out to eagle rock to the east back to los Feliz, the valley santa monica east la downtown and everywhere in between but la's vast gentrification of east la during the early 2000s and Boyle Heights massive gentrification taking place since 2016 have yielded a never-ending supply of poke bowls and coffee and smoothie (laughs) shops but the time of the Pachuco run Mexican food places are long gone all replaced by Chipotle chopped salad stands and fucking fat burgers which those burgers suck dude I'm sorry like you know I will will gladly say that you know In-N-Out Burger has a good burger it's not the best burger I've ever had in my life which everybody seems to think that they're the best burgers ever made but yeah I don't get that In-N-Out Burgers fries fucking suck dude the In-N-Out fries are terrible I don't understand why people (laughs) like those shits but their burgers are pretty good, you know, but like fat burger, fat burger fucking sucks. I hate fat burger, but the, the whole, this whole beef is in no way helped by how much I hate LA to take all this as my personal, but well-fed opinion and take it with a grain of salt because I fucking hate LA and every, it doesn't matter what you say. Oh, this place is good over on uh, you know, like go over to Los Feliz and have this fucking burrito. I'm going to tell you that it sucks because it's an LA burrito and it's a very specific type of burrito. So that's my fucking sandwich beef this week and they're eating these like fucking LA burritos in the scene they aren't even in like East LA like eating a burrito they're in downtown eating a burrito at this old like semi Frank's coffee shop type bullshit fuck that man especially with Jennifer Lopez (laughs) like she's He's been living in LA for a while. I'd be surprised if that girl actually didn't say something to somebody about like these burritos fucking suck. Like, why didn't we shoot this in this area? This is some bullshit. Whatever. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Gili is an unbelievable fuck up throughout this movie, dude. Like, and now he's got to inject his mom's insulin, and we just have to, have to see her fucking song. Yeah, thank you for that, Martin Breast. Why, why, why does he do that? Because she can't inject inject the. I don't know, dude. Like, insulin. Everyone does it. My horror, my absolutely horror show of a grandmother that shot at me tried like was insulin dependent and she would inject her own insulin despite the fact that she had like early Alzheimer's and fucking uh, early Parkinson's and all this other shit. She would still able to get the goddamn needle like in her every single time. There was never a situation where we had to stop what we're doing in order to go inject grandma's insulin. Like it's fucking bullshit. But well, maybe that scene is there to explain why he's such an unbelievable piece of shit because you meet his mom and you realize 
guys. Oh, well, that's where I came out of. I guess, I guess it don't make sense. <laughs> well, no, but the, like that scene is like played to be endearing. And it's like it, the whole point of that scene is to set up that punchline of like, you know, I, I was once experimental in college too. Like keep an open mind, blah, 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 blah. Like fuck my son, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. <laughs> that's the whole point of that goddamn scene, dude. Mm. It doesn't actually have a point other than that. It's, it's just a phase. It's yeah, it's just, just a phase. This yeah. woman's like in her mid twenties, maybe early thirties, and she declares herself as a lesbian. The woman's a fucking lesbian, man. Like she's not gonna swing back and forth or be convinced by Ben Affleck's white man chin that she's gonna jump the fence, <laughs> hop on the dick again. Like it's fucking insulting, man. But oh boy, let's let's oh, make. <laughs> don't forget, she has a crazy girlfriend. Maybe that's what yeah. drives her away from women. She's like, ah, God, stereotypical crazy woman. Yeah. So, oh boy, yeah. let's make more fun of gay people more by Gili's monologue on how men were made to sleep with women and how lesbians, quote, spend all their money on erotic monkey wrenches and shit because they have, quote, shortcomings a man doesn't have. That fucking scene, like that scene, which you talked about earlier, her doing her whole stretching and talking about shit. That is so fucking offensive, that whole goddamn <laughs> scene. It's unbelievable. She does set him straight in the sense that like this, this, this is me as a heterosexual male. I will say that women have always been the better sex. They're they they're they're cleaner, they're smarter, they're more empathetic, they know what the fuck they're doing. That's why this whole goddamn world, every fucking country that's being run by a woman is out of the coronavirus pandemic, but every fucking country run by a man <laughs> is taking a shit because men don't know what the fuck they're doing. Maybe we should hand it over to the women for a while. I don't know. But regardless, that, that is my political opinion. I don't give a <laughs> if you don't like it stop listening to this podcast fuck you go find something else you fucking alt-right piece of shit <laughs> all right okay let's calm down what, what do you think would happen if you had a child and you sat them in a room and you played this movie to them throughout their childhood like what would what kind of I mean, person would they be when they grew up they would turn out to exactly be ben affleck's character in this fucking movie man he's the only male that you're supposed to attach yeah. to in this fucking movie they would turn out like him thinking that the white man's dick solves everything fucking unbelievable but <laughs> all, right, all right for for yeah. supposedly <laughs> For supposedly watching the mark, these two contractors, a hitman or whatever, leave him unattended for long periods of time with the phone. Like it's not like he doesn't know how to pick yeah. up the phone. And he doesn't know like he doesn't Picks know what nine one one is. His brother. Yeah. yeah. Oh, whoops. <laughs> exactly. Not to mention this whole goddamn movie is predicated upon the fact that Geely has his real name on the fucking apartment lease so people can fucking find him. He has a phone that has to be registered with the fucking phone company with his real name and social security number and all this shit. But somehow he's supposed to be this like mob guy. This is the stupidest shit I've seen. Like it's obvious that nobody it was involved with this movie actually knows anything about the way that the mob operates. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This movie is stupid. Moving on. <laughs> uh, 
even um, but even yeah. Lewis, his like supposed mob boss or his like middle guy or whatever, is stupid. Calling Larry's home number, which is clearly in his name at the apartment in his name, to talk about cutting a fucking thumb off. Like you would figure that if Christopher Walken's character, who's involved with the feds, and we don't know this, but in the director's cut, which I'll get to later, but like he's supposedly involved with the feds. He's just like this savvy like fed guy and somehow even though he knows that this guy is like doing this shit and he's going to his apartment to tell him that he knows he's doing this shit they don't have wiretaps they don't have any sort of surveillance nothing like that in order to see this guy coming and going with this third party that is clearly the brother of the da let alone any wiretaps on his phone where he's talking about cutting <laughs> the fucking thumb off or whatever uh, you know yeah. you know no, that just none of it makes any sense yeah that, that would like why would the brother even care i mean it doesn't seem like he does in any of this i mean they never get to that the brother never finds out or at least we're never told that the brother finds out but i'm gonna get to that later because it's an even stupider moment so another scene of j-lo being ogled dude she showers with the door open because she wants to tease this straight man because why because it's j-lo it's what, in 2003 it's what lesbians do I don't fucking like, you know, come on, that's man. That's what all of them do, man. Yeah, they just tease just, all the They're women. there to tease men, get fucking men all riled up. It's their fault. It's <laughs> yeah. their fault when bad things happen. Obviously. Mm-hmm. So for, for everybody to be clear, Paul is fucking satirizing this bullshit. Yes. He doesn't actually believe. <laughs> 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 yeah. So I... I, I <laughs> All this leads me to the dumb fuck moment number one, which we just saw pass, which is that her jilted girlfriend barges into the house and has her meltdown, right? So her jilted girlfriend can find Gili, meaning that she knows yeah. either where Gili is by his name or where she is because she's fucking tailing her. But somehow the feds who, <laughs> who are looking for this can't figure this out. But she barges in, has this argument. Uh, where, I mean, well, Ben Affleck, like just kind of lets her walk through the front door yeah not knowing anything about who she is but then they have that there. weird like cock teasing scene where they have to make like make more fun of lesbians that lesbians are just there in order to tease men by having her suggest a threesome and blah 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 but then she wanders into the kitchen grabs a fucking butcher's knife and cuts her wrists because why like <laughs> to show that his straight man fuck upness yeah. is still better than a suicidal lesbian girlfriend like what the fuck is this movie i think they're trying to say that lesbianism is a mental illness i guess like that's end up slitting your wrists or that sure feels like this shit man like that definitely feels like what they're trying to get at that's the central theme of this movie (laughs) (laughs) but this is definitely i mean the whole goddamn movie is stupid but this is definitely dumb fuck moment number one for me because it's just like what the fuck is this scene then they take her to the hospital and you know she gets all stitched up or whatever again. and she's never heard from again <laughs> never comes back but it look it's a good thing dude that j-lo looks so good for just throwing on some shit in order to rush her ex-girlfriend to the hospital like she looks fucking great in this scene her her fucking hair is combed she's got that nice like open-sided midriff bearing like top she's got the tight jeans like she is put together for having ran out of the house to take this woman who's fucking hemorrhaging to the goddamn <laughs> hospital <laughs> And she didn't, somehow, neither one of these people got any blood on them or the fucking car, which, like, even if you're slashing your wrists from left to right rather than down the arm, which yeah. is the way that you actually she kill yourself, out. you bleed you a lot, dude. Down the road. 
not across down the river not across <laughs> yeah we all know this. but she's she would still be bleeding a lot and like the fact that like j-lo and nobody has any sort of blood on them from i don't know trying to put pressure on the wounds or anything like that <laughs> it just it doesn't make any sense but this leads us to an even worse scene where oh these, there's another oh yeah. wait no it's one after the other it just gets worse and worse <laughs> but this this leads us to the scene where they agree that they didn't sign up to be a quote brutal street thug end quote but what did they expect was to come of this like escalation of the thumb is the smallest thing that they could do like eventually if people aren't caving they're gonna have to fucking kill this kid in order to send a message to the da uh, yeah but like point but they're surprised when somebody says that oh we need to fucking like cut off his thumb and send it to the da like he's got to be the biggest fuck up in crime boss history but <laughs> Regardless, they go to get a, a thumb from the fucking from a fucking corpse, right? So they go down into the basement, they find the morgue, but they plan this and neither one of them as an enforcer has a blade to cut the thumb off. So Ben Affleck goes into the autopsy operating room in order to hide the kid at first to get across the aisle way, but he doesn't pick up a scalpel or a fucking bone saw or anything. He walks into the fucking freezer and finds some sick coroner's lunch sitting there and pulls out a plastic knife a plastic butter knife and we're to believe that he somehow cuts this fucking thumb off with this plastic butter knife how did he get through the bone how did he get through the ligaments you know like maybe he's been to prison and knows what you can make out of you know how many different shivs you can make out of a plastic spoon (laughs) if he had been to prison he wouldn't be as stupid as he is in this movie but again they make fun of the developmentally challenged kid by him singing sir mix a lot as his back is turned i don't know if this is meant to be funny or if it's meant to be endearing or what but it's just goddamn offensive is what it is But these people, these people have to take the thumb and mail it to the DA, right? They take the thumb to the local fucking like shipping shop. They don't put it in a plastic bag. They literally take the fucking thumb and put it in a paper envelope. and send it no but he he's been touching this whole thing with his fucking fingers dna on the envelope when he licks it but like none of this comes up he's perfectly okay with this he throws it in the fucking envelope <laughs> sends it off but the next scene <laughs> it gets even worse so he Wait, is sits this the yoga scene we're talking about now? yeah uh yes it's the beginning of the year no no no. it's no, the beginning no. of the it's the beginning of the turkey time scene but he they get back to his apartment and he's going to guilt her into sleeping with him over and over and over again he calls her the d word twice that's that line that paul was talking about earlier about the the Asaurus Rex, you know, like making fun of her again for being a lesbian. She talks about the fingernail conversation that comes up later and she asks him to check his fingernails and he puts his hand out and she's like, oh, you know, that's uh, that's because you're part gay, blah, 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 blah. You looked at your hands in an effeminate way. He looks at his fingernails and then it leads to dumb fuck moment number two, which is where she pulls out the line, I want to see what your heterolingus is about. It's turkey time.
time gobble gobble and she wants him to go down on her for like somehow a comedic value or that we're supposed to like attach to this guy because he's in real pain paul there's a yeah. lesbian that he really likes that he wants to fucking have yeah. sex with and also she, she called him gay with, yeah she called him gay again. unbelievable he's got to prove that <laughs> he's got to prove that he's not gay yeah that's even worse dude now that you said I, that i just connected that that, that was a fucking <laughs> challenge to his manhood and that's even worse i thought what was going to happen when she started calling him gay was that he was going to realize that he was gay but then she was a lesbian so that somehow their relationship would work out (laughs) (laughs) that's what i thought was going to happen for me i think that's even worse This, again, she is a self-described lesbian, and she is doing this to a heterosexual male. And this is supremely offensive because she somehow thinks that this is going to solve her problems or clear the air. It's it's never completely spelled out because at first it's sort of like clearing the air of sexual frustration. But I'm like, she's a fucking lesbian, dude. <laughs> like, there is no sexual frustration. But there's this sex scene that they become involved with, and it's obvious that she's enjoying herself in the sex scene. And then the next moment is we see them post-coitus. They're all cuddled up together, and Ben Affleck says, God bless you, penis. Because again, this guy (laughs) is so sure of his heterosexuality, he can turn a lesbian back to sleeping with men. God damn this movie. Even after she fucks him, dude, she tells him after the job, she is going to go away. But he stares. He still shares his hopes and dreams with her in the car afterward. Like she says that she's going to be out. She's already distanced. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, I'm going to share that. That's another thing I'll bring up in the director's uh, cut. Because like (laughs) this scene seemingly comes out of nowhere that he talks about his, his clean place and blah, 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 blah. But then this leads us to the scene with Al Pacino. Al Pacino shows up. And God damn, what a travesty, dude. Like, (laughs) this man is way better than that. And I know that Al worked with Martin Brest, and that movie won him a fucking Oscar with Scent of a Woman, but... I thought Al Pacino was pretty scary for a moment, and then then the script caught back up (laughs) with him. Yeah. And then, yeah, J-Lo starts talking, and yeah, (laughs) and it all falls out. But they shoot the Italian-American stereotype in the head and the brain matter is seen sitting on top of the fish tank. Not to mention, okay, so how bullets work for a second. (laughs) When you shoot somebody in the head at point blank range, the bullet of a hollow point bullet is made to split apart and shatter, right? And it's made so that way it mushrooms back when it hits the skull and it starts shredding in all these little pieces and all these razor sharp pieces start spraying through the brain and like ricocheting on the inside of the skull in order to like cause the most amount of damage possible when it hits its target. So shoots him in the head, it hits him with enough force that the back of his skull comes out and sprays brain matter all over the fish tank, but somehow no shards of bullets or anything flew out at the tank that's less than two feet away (laughs) and shatters the fucking tank. Not to mention that like the amount of energy that enters his head would cause his head to kick back, probably hard enough (laughs) in order for him to shatter the tank, but that's not even the the, like worst part of this moment. Also, who has an aquarium that's open on the top? It's not though. 
That's exactly my point. They cut to the fish <laughs> tank before you see the fish eating the brains. Oh, and, yeah. Like the lid is closed and the lid is clearly joined with the back part of the tank. So like the brains are sitting on top and you see the blood dripping down toward the fucking door. But somehow yeah. this big piece of brain gets through this like non-opening and drifts down into the tank enough in order to see the fish, like <laughs> grab it and eat it. It's like, okay. I mean, that was worth the price of admission, right? Was there. it? Just that... the fish <laughs> eating the brain chunks. <laughs> I want to know. Like, I, I don't know. redeems this movie game. For sure, <laughs> it's it's a, it's a fucking parrot. God damn it! It's a fucking parrotfish eating the brain. But I di I didn't understand that because like parrotfish do eat meat with the muscles, but like they don't go after things that are swimming. Like they actually go after muscles and try to crack them open. Mm. And I don't I don't know why this fish thought that it could just eat this piece of brain matter that was floating down. But it doesn't matter. It, it may be a technicality that I don't understand about fish that clearly Martin Breast understands more than me. But <laughs> Al Pacino doing his loud post-killing monologue, dude. Like, I, I love Al Pacino as much as the next guy, but this is a real fucking problem that he has, is that he always has to do this loud monologue. And in this particular instance, it's because he wants to be, like, intense toward these people and say that maybe he'll kill them, too. But they know that he'll fucking kill them. They just shot, <laughs> see him shoot this fucking guy. Uh... And he just starts talking about how a really scary guy just doesn't give a fuck. But this guy, he's using loud volume and intimidation to try to like get these people upset and flustered. But I'm like, you just said the scariest guy is the guy that doesn't give a fuck. So if he shot this guy in the head and just sat there and stared at them, didn't say shit, just... <laughs> You know, that shit would be fucking terrifying, man. Not him going on this long soliloquy about all this stupidity. But then then he talks about this. This is the thing. In his monologue, he says that the thumb had the wrong fingerprint. <laughs> I'm like, why? Because the DA would just happen to fingerprint his fucking brother at some point? Like, why would the fucking brother's fingerprints be in a database, number one? He's not a criminal. He's just the, the brother of a fucking district attorney. And let's, let's go even a step further. It just so happens that when they go into the morgue and they cut the fucking thumb off of this guy, that this guy happens to be a felon or somebody that is fingerprinted, that is in a national database because he is a fucking felon and they're able to identify the fingerprint and it's not his brother like what the fuck dude <laughs> like there's so much happening here that i'm just like this doesn't it doesn't make any fucking sense okay like, i mean his brother was in some kind of institution or something like that they'd probably fingerprint him he was in like he was in like a fucking daycare for like the mentally handicapped dude he wasn't in like an insane asylum you know and he wasn't like a criminal fucking insane person that might have been fingerprinted for killing like a busload of children or something like that well they might have to fingerprint them just for liability purposes sure yeah just in case yeah it's it's a bunch of bullshit but <laughs> j-lo in this scene threatens al pacino with the authorities finding the mentally handicapped brother and him telling them all about the kidnapping plot but the authorities already know that the kid is missing the thumb shows up <laughs> the thumb isn't his brother's so wouldn't they already be watching al pacino's character when he leaves new york and he ends up back in la like they would know all this shit she's not threatening him with any information that the feds don't already 
know. Besides that, the kid wouldn't know Al Pacino's name. So where's the threat? The kid's going to say like, oh, you know, like these people took me and I've been hanging out in this apartment. He's not going to know anything about the crime boss. He's going to know his brother, obviously, is the DA. And even if they press the brother with the name of the crime boss, the kid's going to be like, I don't know who that is. Like, what the fuck is that? But besides that fact, this kid wouldn't be able to sit in in court. Like any good scumbag attorney would be able to cross section this guy so quickly and be like, throw his testimony out. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on. He keeps talking about ice cream or whatever. Like they're just going to throw his testimony out and they're going to be like, oh, well, fuck him. Oh, and all of a sudden this key witness that Jennifer Lopez is fucking threatening (laughs) Al Pacino with is no longer a problem. Uh Not to mention that Al Pacino clearly doesn't have a problem with murdering people. So all he would need to do is murder these two motherfuckers, go over to Gili's apartment, which is registered in his fucking name, (laughs) the goddamn kid. That's what doesn't make any sense is why he doesn't murder them now. Yeah. Immediately. Like, how is this How is this ammo in J-Lo and Ben Affleck's pocket to keep Al Pacino from fucking killing them? It doesn't make any fucking sense. He just shot this guy that clearly has more skin on the street than these two fuck-ups. And, like, he didn't have any problem with that. Killing two fucking lackeys is no problem. <laughs> just yeah. get rid of them. Fuck them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And not to mention that now he's got to clean up his body so he clearly has people for that and killing two more it's just another couple you know what was i don't even remember what she said that made him decide was that it just that that the the kid kid, would know and the kid is uh, still back at their apartment and that he can squawk and i was just like he doesn't know his name what the fuck (laughs) is this like he doesn't know anything all he knows is gili and ricky's name like that's it he doesn't know anything else about anything else no i would see i mean murdering them would solve most of his problems absolutely whole incident the kid just stays in an apartment and some people got murdered you know (laughs) whatever doesn't matter anymore but then there's this radical tone shift right like they kill they kill these people or they kill this guy he threatens Geely and j-lo they threaten him back then they go to pick up the kid not only would al pacino have people that could follow them back to the hotel but i'm not even gonna or back to the apartment i'm not even gonna talk about that right now but their top priority paul is to talk about how this kid can talk to girls and pick up chicks that's their top (laughs) priority Not that they should be getting themselves out of this fucking situation with the mob boss, but it doesn't matter. So they move on to this filmmaking problem, right? And this filmmaking problem that I saw as a person in the film industry is that they pass by a beach in Malibu and Brian freaks the fuck out about Baywatch (laughs) because they see the film crew. So the film crew on the beach has two Titan cranes. A Titan crane is this old like flatbed that they have a fucking crane on that has a platform that you can put a camera and an operator on the platform in order to do, you know, crane shots. So they have two of these things sitting on the beach, but they're a camera platform with a crane arm right but there is a 20,000 watt light mounted to one of the arms behind the camera operator and I'm like what is the point of having a giant light behind the camera operator like number one that would cast a giant shadow not to mention that you don't want a fucking giant light source moving with the camera because oh I don't know you're not supposed to call attention to the camera that's not supposed to be there but oh why not you know put the fucking light on the camera on the arm because oh it's film equipment doesn't that look like film equipment yeah it's always funny when movies they try to like take a guess just to stab at whatever profession and you know throw some jargony stuff out there or you know show show cops holding Bullshit, guns and yeah. correcting you know all that kind of <laughs> stuff but then they can't even get film 
cruise. This is their right. own goddamn industry, dude. <laughs> like, how the fuck do you fuck this up? But what is this movie at this point, dude? At this point, it turns into this weird, like, Rain Man thing all of a sudden that they're going to take pity on the kid and, like, teach him how to talk to girls so, and that making Ryan is the happiest thing in the world. Their whole solution after being threatened by this murderous Al Pacino is to take the kid to the beach and abandon him there and then yeah. drive somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> That's the... <laughs> That's their whole plan. That's the end of the movie. That's it. <laughs> but they bring back, they have to bring back the fingernail thing, you know, because now they have to see whether the developmentally challenged guy is gay. And so they ask him to check his fucking fingernails and he looks at it in the quote unquote masculine way. And they're like, oh, see, he's not gay. <laughs> Fuck you. Well, he also, he also, what is it? What does he call it? Uh, a pee sneeze? Oh, comes yeah. In his pants yeah. Uh, when he thinks of Baywatch. Yeah, and he says, and he thank, says thank you, God, or something. I don't remember. <laughs> or bless you. God or bless you. God bless you. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, man. Okay. So not only is they, this. They put all... that in the movie. That, yeah. That's, that's something that someone wrote down. On... <laughs> Somebody wrote that down. And then, and then and a guy went to, to like film school and put himself through like Dude. You know, triple, <laughs> triple digits of uh, student loan debt. And yeah, then six figures. This. Yeah, and, and then and the culmination of his career was saying he has a piece sneeze <laughs> and says "God bless you" to his dick. Yeah. For people that don't know, this is 2003 when they were shooting only film. This was before the days of digital. So film is made out of celluloid with sodium nitrate on one side, and it gets exposed, and it a regular 35 millimeter film camera, like a still camera. This was something that not only somebody had to make, but it was made out of elements that are not easily obtained in the earth right like silver nitrate and oil that composes the plastic that is the celluloid it's all made out of material that is it is rare so somebody had to make this celluloid that this fucking piece of shit movie was shot on <laughs> that this celluloid will never exist again and it was wasted on this fucking pile of shit this is plastic that is made out of dinosaurs and silver nitrate that was made from <laughs> earth over billions of years was wasted on this fucking movie to never be used again for something that could actually mean something <laughs> just think about how much plastic this movie created that oh, just dude. ended up in the ocean in choking the ocean. some yeah. seabird or something like that <laughs> so going back to the movie <laughs> Gili decides to give J-Lo his car, but wouldn't the car be registered in his name like every other fucking thing in his life, like his apartment and his phone and all that other shit? So barring the fact that she doesn't get pulled over on the way to wherever the fuck she's going, she would eventually have to ditch the car, right? She's not going to Maybe, Maybe he actually had an explosive planted under the driver's seat. <laughs> And if she wasn't going to turn away from lesbianism, then he was going to blow her up in the <laughs> car. The car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because if, if he can't have her, no one can. So yeah. that was a secret plan. But then she decided to go with him and he's yeah. like, Oh, good. 
it works yeah. my chin <laughs> my chin is strong fucking chin yeah dude seriously though like he gives her the car and eventually she's gonna have to ditch it but it's got his license plate on it it's registered in his name so wouldn't that lead the cops back to him wondering why this fucking car is like dumped wherever the fuck it's dumped and they're gonna show up looking for geely anyway like this would put him on a bigger risk of being on the cops radar <laughs> than he already is but besides all that dumb motherfucker that he is he has this great line that he says quote as far as the whole lesbian thing goes if you think about hopping the fence promise me you'll give me a call first again with this like quote lesbianism is a choice bullshit like cut it out man like all the way to the end of this movie they keep saying oh lesbianism's a choice isn't he a great white male like look at him man like he could give you kids and he could give you all the orgasmic pleasure of a dick that you know your fucking lesbian partner obviously can't give you it's fucking idiotic (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's nothing nothing in this movie that uh, is uh, forgivable here no so the growth of this or i'm sorry the growth that is supposed to be so inspiring in this movie is that brian is able to talk to a girl and she just so happens to have the accent that he loves and geely who is a hundred yards away can hear this conversation and keep smiling at him and enjoying this fucking conversation, seeing this kid come out of his shell. Like, this is supposed to be the growth because neither one of the other characters have gone through any growth whatsoever unless you say that, like, oh, Jennifer Lopez's character grew a lot because she turned away from lesbianism, you know, or whatever the fuck. (laughs) (laughs) This is the growth that we're supposed to latch on to. But we're supposed to feel like Gigli and J-Lo are somehow good people for leaving Brian on the fucking beach when the number one thing that they just used is a fucking, like, like checkmate to Al Pacino's character was that they had this kid that knew all this shit and that they had him in their possession. He would be following these motherfuckers. <laughs> and if they walked away, they would just shoot the kid, track J-Lo and Ben Affleck down, shoot them too and problem solved. No more problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. But barring all of that, <laughs> This ending gets so drenched in sap that he tells her or she tells him her real name. She's coming back for that for him at the beach. They have this long glassy look and they joke about her sexuality again. And then they literally, literally drive off into the fucking sunset at the end of this movie. <laughs> so what happens to the kid? Nothing. Like once the movie <laughs> no, I mean like so they just leave him there and then all right, he's on the beach. He falls in and- love with the extra girl and they and she's like oh gross and they have yeah (laughs) he's like standing there ogling her and she doesn't say anything about it and i'm like okay what am i to believe that some like weird forrest gump situation happens after that that he like falls in love with her and she's his jenny and they have a kid and blah 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 blah. like what what is the ending of this fucking movie but she's nice to him momentarily yeah then they pack up and leave and he's standing on the beach and probably drowns to death that's the end of the good people so yeah that's the happy ending they roll the credits and it's this weird like inspiring choir music with like that fucking happy organ which is (laughs) awful but barring this entire goddamn movie i wanted to stop for a second and talk to you about the director's cut of this thing 
Martin Brest apparently shot a completely different movie before the fucking studio got their hands on it. And it's worth mentioning that supposedly this movie had a 160-minute director's cut, which the studio started shopping apart. But early on in the movie, Gigli is seen going to his happy place right after he puts the guy in the dryer, right? He walks out of the laundromat in the first scene and he like closes his eyes and goes to this happy place. In the happy place, he imagines a clean beach and an impossibly pristine blue water he stays there for a minute later in the film this makes more sense because when he brings up his confession about his happy place to jennifer lopez we already saw that shit and we understand what he's fucking talking about so it established this that he hates the world that he lives in that he doesn't like that he's putting people in dryers and he doesn't want to be a part of this and the reason that he's a lackey and the reason he doesn't want to cut the fucking thumb off is established from the first fucking scene in the movie that way it doesn't feel like it comes out of nowhere But apparently the love story in this version of the movie was downplayed a lot. And Ricky wasn't even a contractor, like I said before, her crazy ex was. So she did this as a fuck you to the ex, blah, 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 blah. So it makes sense that when later on another scene that was cut out of the movie is that she says to Ben Affleck, they pull over before they go and pick up Brian. And she says she stole her ex-girlfriend's assignment to see what this world was all about. And in the middle of the movie, she reveals to Gigli that she wasn't a contractor and she just gets out of the car and she leaves never to be seen again that's literally the end of her role she walks out (laughs) in the middle of the movie so ben affleck uses this as like a decision time to go and pick up the kid and do the right thing and turn him into christopher walken's character so he goes over and he picks up the kid drives over to meet christopher walken's character and they actually shot all this shit paul but he goes he goes to pick up the kid drops him off or tries to drop him off with christopher walken's character but then it's revealed that christopher walken's character works for al pacino's character he's a fucking crooked fed yeah so they shoot it out as he's trying to kill the kid or christopher walken is trying to kill the kid and he ends up mortally wounding Gigli. right so the kid being the simpleton that he is for lack of a better word like looks at him bleeding and is like very stoically you're bleeding and brian starts to realize that this person that's been taking care of him can actually be killed and something's wrong so they get in the car they're trying to drive out of the state because obviously things have gone to shit and he can't trust anybody in LA. So as he's driving past Malibu, they see the fucking beach. So he pulls over to the side, lets the kid check out Baywatch. But while he's checking out Baywatch, the kid doesn't want to leave Ben Affleck's side because he's bleeding to death. So Ben is sitting there like telling him, no, it's fine. I'm all good. You know, don't worry about it. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to put a bandaid on it. Whatever he does, whatever he says that he needs to say in order to placate him and tells the kid to go talk to the cute girl that he's been looking at. So the kid walks away and this is the shit that remains is that all the reversals when they're looking at Brian were from these scenes. So if you look at the actual scenes when Brian's looking back at him, he looks stoic, he looks worried, he's not paying attention to the girl. And he's like, it's not just because he's awkward, it's because he's worried about his friend who showed himself to be a true friend is now dying on the beach. So like he ends up eventually realizing that Ben Affleck keeps encouraging him through the last moments of his life. And the kid finally turns to the girl and starts talking. Ben Affleck fucking dies in the original (laughs) version, bleeds to death. But before he dies, he drifts off sees the beach at Malibu with nobody there, sees the blue water and the sunset and decides that this is his happy place. He's successfully gotten himself out of the life that he fucking hated, even though this isn't the way that he wanted to go and he fucking dies. Roll credits. That was the original version of the movie. You can see how maybe there is a decent 
like reason to want to do the movie for say right. Ben Affleck. But I mean the, read that the whole the whole lesbian <laughs> thing about like them or him changing her into a straight woman and like them falling in love together and driving off into the sunset, all that shit wasn't there. So like it was simply that she was this woman that he found attractive and he was having a struggle with his homophobia toward lesbians and he had to accept it when she put him down and left the fucking car and just took off. And he had to realize that he was a bad person that he was doing bad things to Brian. That was the original fucking movie. Maybe one of the producers also owns a tabloid <laughs> uh, that Ben and Jennifer were having this relationship that starts yeah. on the set and he's like, oh, you know what? You need to re-edit the movie to make yeah. them have a relationship in the movie. But it's going to be a shitty fucking movie and we're going <laughs> to drive home just how bad movie is and how shitty the relationship uh, is and how <laughs> awful people they are just that's throughout where, this whole thing <laughs> that's where the reshoots come in and the rewrites and the extra 21 million dollars in order to shoot that shit came from because they're like yeah. oh no none of this we don't like this it's not playing well with the audiences we want to cash in on the benefer fucking romance nice. so we're gonna go back and add this whole fucking love story <laughs> and re-edit this whole goddamn thing and reshoot all these scenes and cut out everything to do with christopher walken's character because that doesn't matter anymore we're just gonna drop that so that way we can have the ending that we want which is part of the reason why this movie turned out to be such a fucking disaster. <laughs> <laughs> ah, nice. That nice. was the actual director's cut. Like what Martin Brest had envisioned was this like kind of dark, weird fucking movie where this guy has to wrestle with some real demons of being a hitman, being homophobic, being a piece of shit toward mentally challenged people and doing the right thing when he knows all this shit is wrong and somehow getting his redemption by the end of the movie because he dies helping a kid achieve his dream or whatever. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. That was the movie. <laughs> All right, all right. I could see. <laughs> I, I could see it a little bit more than this fucking thing. Like it's. Yeah. Anyway, dear friends, that is Gili from 2003. An I, absolute fucking train. Wreck I could not contribute much to this discussion. Just I think it really hurt me on the inside watching this movie. <laughs> I'm I'm still recovering. If I I think if I had had a few days to kind of come to grips with where my life is to this point where I actually <laughs> sat down and watched the movie and why I did that to myself and all the failings that you had yeah. in your life that caused I, I that. think I need to go go to some kind of therapy or something <laughs> after this. So I, yeah, I couldn't. I just wasn't wasn't on my A game because you want yeah. you want to know you want to know something that's really weird about this movie, Paul, is that it's shot by Robert Elswit, who won his Oscar for shooting There Will Be Blood. The guy who shot <laughs> There Will Be Blood shot this movie, oh. and I mean it's it's fine. It looks okay, and there's all these weird Halo shots of her driving around where she's got this like perfect lighting right behind her to give oh, her like yeah. that background, but. <laughs> It's like Jesus Christ, man. The number of people that were involved with this that were good and they just completely fucked up this movie. And you know, I, I don't know how much I how much blame I should put on the studio system for this because while the studio did take it out of their hands and like want to do their own thing, Martin Brest could have very easily been like, take my fucking name off of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like David Fincher, David Fincher that. very famously walked off the set of Alien 3. Alien yeah. 3 
eight weeks into production, he said, fuck this. You keep changing the script. You keep wanting me to do this movie that's not the movie that I signed on to do. Fuck it. I quit. And he walked out. And while David Fincher's name still remains on that, he told them, take my goddamn name off of it, credit it to Alan Smithy, who is like the unknown director who every yeah. movie that's abandoned goes to Alan Smithy. <laughs> he said, credit it to Alan Smithy and told 20th Century Fox to go fuck themselves and walked off the movie. They still credited him because they fucking sued him for $150 million for breach of contract. <laughs> and his name ended up having to be on the fucking thing, which sucks because it's like one of the biggest outliers in David Fincher's career is that movie. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. But it's like he tried. He at least tried to get his goddamn shit off. Like Martin Brest actually took the studio's like ribbing and went out and shot these goddamn scenes that they wanted him to shoot. Yeah. And just took it and i'm like dude uh, should have just walked off fuck it he must have been real tired real tired just <laughs> ready ready yeah. to kick it yeah, yeah i mean I, I don't blame him for like retiring from directing because of this movie because based on what i read he went through some bullshit with the studio and i've worked with plenty of company people over the years where i was just like jesus christ you fucking people are idiots and i don't blame him because that's me working as a below the line crew member yeah i'm frustrated by this shit i can't even imagine how something that you wrote and directed and produced they're taking it out of your hands and turning it into what they want i can't even imagine what that feels like fuck that <laughs> just how awful is what they want yeah. is i i just i wish that he wouldn't have retired that he would have come back and said like no this is you know this is obviously not my movie it's a complete pile of shit fuck this movie like he could have said whatever he wanted it wasn't like his contract was keeping him from like talking about what a pile of shit this movie was but maybe he really wanted to seal the deal with his retirement and just <laughs> Just wanted people to leave him the fuck alone. And that's this movie, how he accomplished it. This movie does hold the distinction of being the first movie in the Razzie Awards history. If you don't know what the Razzie Awards is, it is the opposite of the Oscars. It honors the worst movie, the worst screenplay, <laughs> the worst actress. But this movie became the first movie in the history of the Razzie Awards to sweep the top five categories. It won worst picture, worst actor, worst actress, worst director, and worst screenplay. It is the Razzie equivalent of It Happened One Night, the first yeah. film to win the Oscar grand slam of best picture actor actress director and screenplay it also claimed its sixth razzie award for worst screen couple ben affleck and <laughs> Lopez. So, was that a the, was that a special yeah, award special award yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but all that being said Ben Affleck did come out later saying that he thinks that this is the largest miscalculation in the history of miscalculations trying to put <laughs> this movie together. Yeah. So he does know how bad it is. I just feel bad. His exact quote is, quote, that's what people want to see because you guys are together now, which is one of the great miscalculations in the history of miscalculations. It's it's really, really terrible what happened with all this, but that took him until 2012 in order to talk about that. And I'm like, it took you nine years to say something about this? <laughs> <laughs> This, again, listeners, this is a movie that just defies description. I told my wife about it because she's never seen it, but she knows about it and how legendarily bad it is. It is something that needs to be seen to be understood on how awful it is. Really don't. Really don't. <laughs> don't see let it. Let it go. Yeah, let it go. Let Dude, the curiosity die. 
Troll 2 is a better movie than this. And that's one of the worst movies ever made. Dude, Leprechaun in the Hood is a better movie than this shit. <laughs> this is a goddamn travesty. <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. I think I have cancer now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely one of those movies that might actually give you cancer. You watch yeah. it straight. All that being said, Paul, I don't I don't remember any movies in the last week that I've seen that I really fucking hated. But I, I think I want to stay away from the bottom 100 list on IMDb because I, I did put that we should try doing Cats at some point and, or Battlefield Earth. And I just <laughs> I can't bring myself to watch either one of those movies. Uh, Cats, Cats is one of the few movies that I've tried multiple times to watch it and I cannot get through it. Yeah. And Battlefield Earth, I saw it once and i was flabbergasted by the fact that forrest whitaker was in that movie (laughs) (laughs) what about uh like freddie got fingered or something like that? oh dude tom green (laughs) god damn it dude tom green (laughs) fuck that guy dude i'm glad that he doesn't have a career anymore he's one of those people that i wish i could just forget ever existed in the entertainment realm because it's just too much like he his his existence as an entertainer and the fact that the guy was a fucking millionaire is insulting to me while there's people he was an (laughs) art god damn it of self-debasing ish (laughs) honestly dude i'm leaning toward hollow man because there's something about that movie that as bad as it is there was something about it that entertained me and i don't remember what it was but i remember it being somewhat entertaining when i saw it back in 2000 yeah remember that movie 2000 that movie came out somewhere around there <laughs> but i think i think uh, the hollow man, man would be interesting because it's directed by paul verhoeven and you know my problem with paul verhoeven like as much as i like <laughs> as much as i like total recall and agent orange and you know his movie uh fuck what was this movie that i was just telling you about about the robocop rape? not robocop but like the movie about the rape that i was telling you about i'm uh, looking it up right now <laughs> the so movie was, about the rape movie huh. about the rape Okay, ellie yeah. ellie that's the name of ellie. it ellie all right <laughs> so as much as i as much as i like robocop total recall you know uh soldier of orange and ellie like hollow man is a fucking bad movie i don't like starship troopers i don't give a fuck what you or anybody else oh, says man. about it starship troopers it's genius <laughs> And show, Showgirls, like Showgirls is, yeah. he's one of those people that actually got it, like when it got edited for television, and that's the way a lot of people saw it was because nobody went to go see it in the theater, was that when it was edited for television and it premiered on television, he got his name changed to Jan Jansen because he hated the fucking movie so much. So he actually huh. able, was able to fight for the fact that he didn't want Paul Verhoeven's <laughs> name on it. Yeah. So he knows it's a bad movie. And that movie killed the career of, uh, what was her name? Elizabeth Berkeley Was that? her name yeah yeah, yeah. Kill, killed her career and For that has reason. and that has an even <laughs> less metacritic rating than Geely does Ooh, as unbelievable good. as that is uh, no i like movies with some kind of redeeming quality it's like <laughs> you know there's only so much you can describe a like pile of shit <laughs> you know we talk about it needs we need we need some like some something extra just outside of shit yeah yeah and hollow man (laughs) hollow man is at least like 
somewhat entertaining. It's not unequivocally terrible like Gili is. Yeah, I remember it being entertaining for some <laughs> reason. Yeah. Yeah, we should do a Steven Seagal movie. Uh, <laughs> Under Siege 2, dude. I want to hear. Two. Yeah. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> so I, I just want to contextualize this for the listeners, though, is that like Gili is on the same list for worst movies of all time as Birdemic Shock and Terror. <laughs> Like how how is that possible? <laughs> um, it's just one of those things that you can't really believe exists. It's like an Uwabol movie, you know, like Uwabol. I promised I would never ever watch one of his movies for this podcast, <laughs> but like Alone in the Dark is fucking terrible. Uh, House of the Dead is terrible as uh, well. But you know, I mean, there's there's something about his movie version of the video game Postal that I kind of like. I don't know what it is about it. <laughs> I think it's because that whole movie they just spend ribbing on George W. Bush about what a fucking yeah. idiot he was. That <laughs> maybe that helped the movie a little bit. I think it's kind of a giant middle finger to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's, that's what you enjoy about it. Oh, dude, I didn't know, but the uh, the net, the recent Netflix movie with the kid who stars in 13 Reasons Why called The Open House from 2018 that's currently on Netflix is on the bottom uh, 100. It's number 48 of all time, just above Barbed Wire with Pamela Anderson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Open House, is that what you call it? Yeah, it's called The Open House. I, so is that a real estate movie is that what that is i mean it's like some fucking horror movie about a kid that like moves into like a house or something like that and it's haunted uh -huh. or whatever it's the basic bullshit that you've seen in a thousand movies before it yeah. doesn't matter that's one of those movies mm -hmm. that i avoided because i hate that kid <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, you had mentioned previously, Paul, about doing, um, I thought you said something about doing Van Helsing or something like that, like uh, like a fucking Stephen Summers movie. Oh, I don't know if you ever saw Tripp that. said that. He <laughs> loves that movie. I don't even think I've seen Van Helsing. <laughs> that has Hugh Jackman, right? That's yeah. why Tripp loves it. Yep. So there you go. Yeah, that's <laughs> I can't imagine I can't imagine having this on my career. Like I've worked on some stupid movies in my lifetime, but like I've <laughs> never had anything that was like this. Yeah. And that's not to say that maybe that Next won't happen day. at some point, but I would say take my fucking name off of it. Don't ever credit <laughs> me. It wouldn't be credit on IMDB, you know, like just don't this Burn movie does not copies. exist. <laughs> I'm really learning, leaning toward Hollow Man because I've been in this kind of like Kevin Bacon like kick recently. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> I like Kevin Bacon. I still do. Yeah. Like as no, many he's, bad movies he's, he's been in, like he's pretty he's good. Footloose and uh, what's the Tremors? Yeah, Tremors is best. classic. Tremors oh, is yeah. a classic, dude. Yeah. And they can't yeah, shit no, on Tremors that movie is, by no, any Tremors means. Tremors is bla badass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I still laugh when the fucking worm goes careening out of the side of that <laughs> ditch and like lands and explodes and all that orange goo. I still laugh at that shit. Anyway, thank you, dear listeners. Once again, that was Gili. Please don't watch it. <laughs> don't do it. We appreciate you guys listening. Until next time, this is Movie Dicks and I'm Gabriel Chavez. And I'm Paula Schindel. Thanks, guys. Good night. Good night.